You're listening to episode 29 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Dave Mullins. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey guys, I hope you're all doing well. Uh, I just got off the court and now I'm recording this intro for you guys for a fantastic episode, uh, an interview with Dave Mullins, who was the former Oklahoma women's tennis team coach. Um, the college tennis team in Division One uh, here in the states, and uh, he's had a lot of experience coaching players uh, at all levels, from uh, club players to obviously the college tennis game. And uh, he is—he gives us some really great tips on how uh, college tennis players can prepare for that experience and how they can crush the college tennis game if they, you know, follow the right uh, preparation and goal setting and. Uh, you know things like that. So Dave Mullins, uh, he just created a uh, recently a, a website uh, at DaveMullinsTennis.com, and he has some cool uh, resources, uh, blogs, and guidebooks and stuff on the college tennis game and how to just excel in that arena. So uh, you know, I'm really excited to bring you this interview with Dave. Um, Dave uh, spoke to us all the way from Ireland, so I really appreciate him. Uh, making the time late at night, his time to, uh, you know, be a guest on the show. So I uh, hope you guys really enjoy this episode and take a lot from it, uh, whether you're a college player or just a regular tennis player trying to improve your game. And I'm sure it'll help you out. So without further ado, here is my interview with Dave Mullins. Hey, everybody. We're here with Dave Mullins. Uh, Dave was the head coach of uh, Oklahoma women's tennis from 2008 to 2016, and he has accomplished a ton in the college tennis world. Um, He has recorded uh, with Oklahoma five NCAA tournament appearances, uh, five ITA regional championships. He's had uh, three seasons with uh, at least 17 victories, and he was also tabbed the ITA Central Regional Coach of the Year in 2014. Um, in that year, he actually guided uh, Oklahoma University women's tennis to uh, one of its best seasons in program history with a top 20 finish in uh, the final ITA rankings uh, for you know, Division One college team, which is uh, really amazing. Um, and Dave now uh, has a, a fantastic website called uh, it's, it's Dave Mullins Tennis. So that's D A V E M U L L I N S T E N N I S dot com. And it's focused on the college tennis game. So he has put out some great products, which we're going to talk about later on, uh, some guidebooks on how to thrive uh, in the college tennis world. Uh, so, Dave, I just want to welcome you to the show and I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the lovely introduction. I appreciate it. Oh, no, anytime. You you deserve it, Dave. And, uh, you know, as we love to do with our guests, we're always interested in your background and, uh, you know, your, your tennis career. And so I just want to ask you, Dave, first off, what got you started in the game of tennis? 
Well, I grew up in, in Dublin, Ireland, and tennis isn't uh, the most popular sport here in Ireland. Uh, I would have grown up playing a, a lot of soccer, uh, football as we call it here. And uh, I was away in France when I was about 10, and I had nobody to play soccer with. Uh, I have an older sister, and she wasn't really into sports. And there was uh, tennis courts at the uh, campsite and a tennis wall, and I just started hitting against it. And uh you know, for about a week or so and, and really fell in love with just kind of hitting the ball against the wall, probably because I was bored and didn't have a, a an iPhone or an iPad or anything else to do and nobody to play soccer with. And uh, as soon as I got back to Ireland, I joined a local tennis club just around the corner and um, I won the kind of the 12 and unders club championship at a really low level, but I thought I was the best tennis player in the world. And, and, uh, and from there I just, uh, yeah, didn't look back, kind of gave up soccer, um, you know, a year or two after that and, and, uh, put all my energy and attention into, uh, playing tennis. Was it pretty easy for you to give up soccer, um, you know, and pursue tennis? I mean, how attached were you to, to soccer at the time? Um, no, it wasn't, it wasn't particularly hard. I think just, um, it, you know, I was still able to play a lot at school and it's just part of the culture. So even at, even at tennis courts or tennis clubs, they would probably get some, you know, ad hoc game going. And, um, so I was still able to, to kind of play, but just not as seriously and, and not with like, you know, a coach and, and a team traveling around or anything like that so i still think i got my my fix of it um but uh most of my attention and, and uh resources and energy definitely went into improving as a tennis player that's wonderful dave and um you know you talked about uh winning a championship when you were 12 which is always uh it's so exciting i mean jeff salzenstein who we had on the show last episode mentioned how his early success, you know, really got him hooked in the game. Um, but what's your fondest memory uh, of tennis um, when you were young? Honestly, it's probably, you know, we have, um, uh, or we used to at least in, in Ireland, have kind of a summer circuit um, where, you know, they're week-long tournaments. You're playing singles, doubles, mixed doubles, uh, you maybe you'll play in two age groups of singles, but you're basically at this, you know, tennis club somewhere in Ireland from Monday through Saturday and, you know, public transport's great here. So we, you know, get a bus or get a train and you're just kind of long days, um, you know, long summer days at a tennis club playing cards with your friends, maybe playing some soccer, playing a tennis match um, or playing a lot of tennis matches and just kind of those long days uh, building relationships with with other people that share similar interests. And, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate to, um, you know, be a, one of the top Irish juniors and, and would be a would have been, uh, you know, uh, a national champion under 16 and, and uh, the number one ranked player under 18 and played a lot of ITFs, played junior Wimbledon. Um, and, and those were all great things and, and uh, you know, really wonderful memories. But it, it's 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 really about the relationships now being, you know, at 37 now being able to look back and, and uh, still have friendships with some of those people is uh, quite amazing. So, yeah, tennis is, has provided a great life for myself and uh, been able to meet people all over the world. But it's those early days and, and uh, those fond memories that I have that uh, I think about most and treasure the most. 
Yeah, I mean, these are truly amazing accomplishments that you mentioned, you know, being number one in, in Ireland and playing in the Junior Wimbledon. That's pretty pretty sick. And um, I'm curious about the transition. So after you finished up your junior career, did you kind of, I mean, did you keep playing? Or like, I'm curious when the transition to uh, becoming a, a tennis coach happened. Yes, yeah, so I, I accepted uh, a tennis scholarship to play at Fresno State in California. Um in 1998 and uh, played four years there and, and uh, um, yeah, again, uh, you know, improved every year and really fell in love with the college game. At the time, I didn't know I was going to get into college coaching, but I just fell in love with college athletics, you know, coming from a different country, you know, you just don't have that anywhere else in the world. So I, um, yeah, I spent four years there, and and by my senior year, um, I, I, you know, I felt like I wanted to give the tour a shot. I didn't have a whole lot of money. I had about enough money to get me through uh, four four to six months, and um, I literally graduated in December. And I think uh, I came home to Ireland for a couple of weeks, and then I hit the road, and and I hit the road for six months wasn't the smartest decision I made. I mean, I literally just went from tournament to tournament and stayed with friends here and there. I didn't take any breaks, um, you know, sleeping in hotel rooms with three other guys and all the rest of it. But, uh, you know, I picked up a few ATP points. I think I picked up about eight points or so, put me at, you know, 850 in the world or something like that, uh, singles and doubles and and, uh, played Davis Cup for Ireland during that time. Um, But really... Yeah, it was uh, it was a short stint. It was enjoyable, ups and downs for sure. Um, but I knew it was time to kind of um, yeah, uh, it wasn't worth going into into serious debt for. And um, I did my undergraduate degree in finance, and I wanted to work in in the financial world. And I was fortunate to get a job at the Mercantile Exchange in Chicago and and uh, work on the the S and P trading floor, mm-hmm. and I absolutely hated it. <laughs> I mean, it was miserable. Uh, I just and uh, so that got me me thinking. You know, you know, really started challenging myself as to you know why why did I even study finance? You know, what what was the motivation? Was it to make lots of money? Was it status? You know, what was it? And um, as I started kind of processing through some things, I realized that uh, the other area that I'd really uh, had a passion for was 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 college coaching. I, I didn't really picture myself uh, coaching at a club, at a country club or an academy or, or kind of working with a pro player. Um, and I did all those things, uh, bits and pieces here and there. Um, but uh, it was really the college game that kind of grabbed my interest and be able to work with you know anywhere from six to, to 12 players and, and they're your players that you've recruited um that you are trying to develop and my college coach had a huge impact on me and uh really i tell him you know he made a man of me and um i wanted to have some impact on, on those that i coached and so that was really kind of how I got into it and I was fortunate you know I was in Chicago working on the Mercantile Exchange and, and the Paul University men's job opened up I applied for it and I got it and um, yeah that started my college coaching career from there. 
Oh, that's a you know pretty amazing journey, Dave. And you know, a couple of questions come to mind uh, from from what you just said. Uh, the first one is uh, you mentioned how your uh, your college coach had a great uh, you know a big impact on you. What in particular did he uh, say or teach you, or you know what impact in particular was it that uh, really helped you know elevate your uh, you know what you did in your career? Yeah, it was it was an interesting journey because I started in in January nineteen ninety eight, and um, I have to say I absolutely hated my coach. Uh, the first semester, <laughs> uh, I'd re- never really been exposed to that level of intensity. You know, growing up in Ireland, you know, my my schedule was kind of playing a playing a set each day, and and kind of one one uh, very technical tennis lesson per week, and maybe some group stuff here and there. But it was all very there was no intensity. You know, you're sitting down every every few minutes and drinking water and mucking around and kicking balls around and all the rest of it. So to uh, be thrown and I, you know, I played uh, high level ITF juniors and not, it's not like I was uh, coming, coming from the middle of nowhere and, and uh, hadn't played, been exposed to a high level, but um, just the level of intensity from day one, just uh, to have a coach, you know, basically yelling at me every time I missed the ball and, <laughs> excuse me um yeah just uh holding me to um a much higher standard than anybody had held me before and and to um a standard that I didn't maybe think was realistic and a standard that I didn't think I was I was capable of 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 getting to to be honest um so you know I butted heads a lot with him uh, early on um I was in and out of the lineup uh wasn't you know, definitely hadn't uh, adapted uh, as quickly to the to the college game. I think he probably also thought I'd I'd fit in and help the team at a higher level. Um, you know, a little faster. And uh, but you know, really by the end of the semester, I started to play really good tennis. Um, and I had started to embrace kind of his coaching style. And as the years went on. You know, firstly, I, I I was getting better. I was getting stronger. I was getting fitter. I was getting mentally tougher. Um, I was able to take the criticism, um, and I realized that I was thriving in that environment. And yeah, really, from there, it was understanding that you know his kind of style was in his first year or two to to break you down and see if you could handle it and if you could then you'd thrive and if you couldn't then you'd probably be uh transferring elsewhere and that that's not for everybody and that's not my coaching style Mm -hmm. but for some reason it really worked for me and um it just toughened me up and i've uh, you know because of those four years i feel like i handle adversity really well i handle change extremely well um i'm not I'm not scared of anything, to be honest. And, and I, I owe, owe a great deal of that to, to my college coach. Well, Dave, I'm really happy to hear that um, your college coach's style worked for you. But that does bring up an interesting uh, thought, I guess, about the different styles of coaching. And I'm curious, in your opinion, do you think that uh, coaches have to be able to put on different hats because there's you know players thrive in different types of environments so do you think that one day you have to be you know tough on certain individuals who 
you know, work well in that environment, and then with other players, you kind of soften up. Is that kind of what would you try to do, or what you think is proper? I do, uh, and that would have been my style. Um, but I also, you know, because of my experience that I had, um, you know, I also think in college, the the coach is recruiting players, and you know, if they're honest with the with the players that they're recruiting, and, and they're very honest about this is my coaching style, this is what every day is going to look like. These are my expectations. Then it's up to the player to choose whether or not they want to be a part of that. Um, I think as a junior coach, for sure, you have to be a lot more adaptable. You've got to understand, you know, each player and, and meet them where they're at. But um, at the college game, I think it's a little bit different. Like I said, that wasn't my style. My style was to uh, understand each individual and try and, uh, like you said, you know, there are some days where you need to be hard on them and other days where you need to put an arm around them. And um, But that doesn't mean that you should lower your standards or um, sell yourself short as a coach. You know, if, if somebody needs to be criticized and, and – uh, you know, told some things that maybe they haven't been told in the past or nobody else has been willing to tell them. As a coach, you have to have the courage to tell them that. And that doesn't mean, you know, I think criticism, I think a lot of players these days, and, and that would be my experience, you know, over the last decade, kind of seeing players change, that they mistake criticism for negativity. Mm. Negativity to me is, is you suck, you know, your forehand's crap. You know, where his criticism is like, you know, um, we're losing points on the forehand side when you're pushed out, you know, wide uh, outside the alley lines. And, uh, you know, we've got to find higher trajectory on that ball. You know, that's that's criticism. But but uh, a lot of players are unable to differentiate between criticism and negativity. And um, I think that's something that. Uh, I hope will change in the years ahead. So I know I got a little bit off point there, but um, no, my, my point is that there's lots of different coaching styles out there, depending at the, the level that you're at, um, you know, stay true to who you are as a coach um, and, and be willing to have the tough conversations. Yeah. And I, Dave, I think that's great advice. Uh, and I've been told Far too many times that my forehand is crap, and it's it's been really tough to make. You know, I just <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, Dave, you know, it's a, you talked about your journey, and I just want to step back slightly and uh, delve uh, a little deeper into your kind of the uh, the steps, or I guess rather uh, your journey as far as like first you you know you coached in clubs first, and then college. So could you go walk through kind of what type of establishments? Or organizations you coached at? Yeah, sure. It was it was kind of all over the place. Um, like I said, when uh, when I finished playing, um, I I got a little bit injured, um, you know, and I was kind of okay. Can I save a little bit of money um, and do some coaching? So I traveled with some kind of top ITF Irish players, and and I did some. Uh, I worked with the kind of the Irish Federation a little bit, and. Uh, some at a, at a club here in, in Ireland in, uh, in Donnybrook Tennis Club with uh, my Davis Cup coach and uh, learned a lot from him, uh, incredible coach. Uh, his name's Owen Casey and he, uh, he played three Olympics, was top 250 ATP and, and uh, 
and just a, an incredible coach. I, I learned so much from him. Um, so I did some, some things there in Chicago. I worked, uh, at, at kind of just a summer, uh, country club. It was kind of just a, a tennis and, and paddle and swim club in, in Deerfield in Illinois and coached all levels. I mean, the level wasn't particularly high, but I, I, uh, you know, coached, you know, uh, ladies teams and, and, you know, seven year old kids, I did everything in between. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, te- and I think a lot of, I tell some college coaches that, that, that really helped me become a better coach that I think, um, a lot of college coaches now are bypassing that and going straight into the college game. Mm-hmm. And I think that really made me a better coach. I'm, 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 I'm able to, I guess, think on the fly a little better, be more creative. Um, again, understanding just the little, you know, little things that are, are going to help uh, players get right to the root of, of their game. And I, I think that helped me be a better college coach and a better developmental coach. Um, but uh, again, that was my path. So I, I've worked with, yeah, I've worked with, you know, WTA, ATP type players, uh, you know, during my college time and, um, top ITF juniors and then, and and then every, every age and level in between. And, uh, I think that exposure has made me a a more well-rounded coach. Yeah, Dave, I think that any, you know, any practice and exposure to different types of people can definitely help you handle, you know, all these different situations and, uh, players from different, uh, you know, countries and stuff like that. Um, so regarding becoming a coach for the, uh, for Oklahoma University's women's team, um, was, I'm just curious about the process. Was it pretty rigorous or was it a kind of a quick thing or how did that go for you? Yeah. I mean, th- there's a lot of luck involved. And, um, so I was the, the men's coach at the poll for a year in 2004 and uh we had a great year and and uh i was fortunate to inherit you know four seniors who uh, were really excited to have somebody like me who played at a high level and could kind of you know uh beat them up pretty badly on the court and (laughs) and that kind of gives you some instant (laughs) respect um when you're when you're uh you know beating up on the number one player uh because i was still still playing at at a at a decent level you know um but uh, a great opportunity presented itself uh, to be the assistant coach for the Northwestern uh, women's tennis program, which, you know, traditionally was a top 10 program and, and um, is led by really my, one of my best friends and, and mentors, in Claire Pollard, who to me, I, I think she's the best uh, coach in, in college tennis, to be honest, and, and uh, I find not to be biased, but um, she's a former NCAA doubles champion and, and just a wealth of knowledge and, and somebody, you know, you should have on your podcast for sure. I think she could, uh, lend a lot of insight to, um, players of all levels and ages again, but she, um, she gave me, a, a just, um, yeah, a really great opportunity. I was open to coaching, uh, on the women's side as well. I hadn't kind of, uh, closed myself off to, to I only want to coach men or anything like that. So to work for a top 10 team um, uh, and and to learn from somebody because at the poll, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of the head coach on the men's side. So I didn't, I was doing my own thing. I wasn't really learning from anybody. And, and uh, 
I'm definitely one of my passions is is learning. Uh, I'm going to be a lifelong learner in, in uh, all aspects of my life. But uh, I really wanted somebody that I could uh, to um, yeah mentor me. And uh, so I, you know, again, it was in Chicago. My wife's family's in Chicago, so I didn't have to to move anywhere. And um, the next three years, uh, we just went on a run. And at the end of the three years. Uh, we were number one seed going into the NCAA tournament, and uh, fortunately, we lost in the quarterfinals. But um, we, you know, we accomplished a lot of program firsts um, that year, and I was awarded the um, assistant uh, uh, coach of the year, national coach of the year, uh, through the ITA. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I was only 28, 28 at the time, and I, I really didn't think anybody would would seriously hire me as a head coach. Um, despite the the success that we'd had, but um, the University of Oklahoma job opened up, and I, and I put in a resume, just thinking like, wow, it would be great to get an interview and, and start getting some interviewing experience. I always thought I'd I'd end up in the Big Ten, you know, may, maybe after about five years of, of assistant coaching experience. So. I put in my resume and didn't know a whole lot about uh, Norman, Oklahoma, or 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 the tennis program. It hadn't really been, um, you know, uh, particularly successful or, or uh, well renowned nationally. I mean, obviously, it's known for its football program, uh, but not so much tennis at the time. So I got an interview and um, I went down there and I was blown away by the campus and the facilities and, and they were in the process of building a, a new indoor tennis center. And I came away from that interview just, God, I, what I'd do to get this job, you know, just so excited about it. and uh, But really not thinking that, that they'd offer me the job. And uh, But sure enough, a few days later, they called and, and offered me the job. So I think I was I was definitely the youngest, uh, you know, coach at the BCS level at that time. And, um, yeah, just, just, uh, yeah, over the moon to, to, to be granted that opportunity. And, and yeah, I got there day one. I just got stuck in the team had suffered, I think four, um, losing seasons and, uh, was unranked. And then within three years, I think we were top 25 in the country. So it, uh, the hard work paid off. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity they, the University of Oklahoma gave me at, at such a young age because I'm sure a lot of other athletic departments wouldn't have been uh, um, maybe been as generous or willing to take a, a chance on, on somebody like myself. Well, I certainly think they made a great choice. And, uh, I mean, to turn around the program like that is, is really fantastic what you did. I just want to mention Claire Pollard uh, just uh, for a moment because I emailed a, a ton of uh, coaches and I honestly cannot remember if I emailed you, Dave. I might have, but it was something like 100 college coaches. And so one of my articles at tennisfiles.com slash character, uh, Claire did um, was one of the ones who responded and, and uh, sent me like a really great um, you know blurb mm-hmm. on, on what she thinks are the most important character traits of successful tennis players. So I just wanted to give her a shout out and, um, you know, clearly she's, you know, a great coach. And, uh, I, I wanted to ask you about the turnaround, Dave. So what exactly do you think contributed to, you know, going from the four, uh, losing seasons to, to, you know, the, such a high level, uh, in the, in your, um, you know, the division one tennis, uh, what, what do you think happened there? 
Uh, you know, several things, um, you know, recruiting's part of it, you know, and, and, uh, and, and it's a big part of it. Don't it's, 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 I believe it's everything now. Um, but at the time, you know, I, I had inherited a team that wasn't particularly talented, but they were kind of all type A personalities and, and Hmm. really they thrived in the type of, um, setup that I put together, you know, I'm very organized and, and maybe a little OCD, but they really thrived in, um, just being pushed and they wanted to excel in, in all areas of their life. And, and I think they realized that they were underperforming, um, as tennis players and that they, they did have more to give. So it was a combination of those girls working really hard, uh, changing the culture, and then adding some pieces in there that uh, complemented those girls and uh, bought into the culture. And uh, it was kind of the perfect storm. But look, don't get me wrong. I, I worked as hard as anybody uh, those three years. I did a, a huge amount of individual uh, coaching sessions. I was on the court uh, way more than my players was, were. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be doing two to three individuals uh, easily per day, uh, you know, on top of team practices. And uh, but I, I, I always took a very individual approach. I think like we talked about earlier, all tennis players are different. Mm-hmm. And what you need uh, as a tennis player is very different to what I need. And you can't always accomplish those uh, in, a, in a, you know, a team uh, group uh, coaching session. You really have to get underneath it all and, and uh, focus on the individual's game to help them uh, achieve what, what they're capable of achieving. So, no, I, I, I put in a lot of time. Like I said, I was 28 at the time, uh, still playing at a high level, uh, had the energy to, to be on court um, for, for hours at a time, um, chasing the ball down, uh, doing lots of different scenarios where, um, yeah, putting, putting the players um, in positions to understand their game and, and play towards their strengths. And, uh, and I think, yeah, we, we, I think I did a, as good a job as anybody in that, that time period of, of developing players. Cause it, it's hard to get better, um, in college at times. Uh, I heard, you know, with your podcast with, with Jeff, which I thought was an outstanding, uh, interview. And, and he talked about how, you know, when he went to Stanford and, and, how you know many of the players on his team had gone from playing five to six hours at an academy in Florida to coming now playing you know kind of two hours a day, <laughs> and um, so yeah, so it is difficult. But I, I was fortunate. I feel like every player on my team over those three years got better, and that's what pushed us forward. Well, I love hearing that passion from both you and your players, and I know that as you mentioned, you kind of learned what it took to be successful at uh, at Fresno State with the hard work and dedication. And that you know what, what you said about the individual sessions uh, reminds me of uh, my college coach from uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, Keith Perrier, who we had on episode two, which you can find at tennisfiles.com slash two, and. He would, uh, you know, go out with me, and we would hit one on one, and he'd coach me individually. And when you mentioned that, it just made me think of uh, the good old times that I had at at, at college uh, playing tennis. So that's wonderful. Uh, one interesting thing that I, I'm curious uh, what you think about is uh, coaching female versus male players. So 
I've talked about that a bit, uh, including with Jeff Rothschild on, I think, episode 14. I'll have to find that out um, for sure. But what, what, what do you think are some uh, some differences in, in coaching female versus male, male players, if at all? No, there, there's definitely differences. And, and um, yeah, I definitely don't want to come across as sexist or anything like that. Right, I've no, coached no. in the female game for for 11 years and, and, um, and, and, uh, loved it, you know, and, and, but I think sometimes as male coaches, we have a tendency when working with females to, you know, we're so focused on, on the tennis side of things and, and it's just, yeah, let's get to work today. You know, let's put our heads down and work. Mm -hmm. And, and oftentimes, um, that's just that's just not easy for for a lot of female players that I worked w with. You know, it wasn't you, you couldn't make it all about the tennis as much as I wanted to make it about the tennis. You, you just couldn't. And and some days um, you had to be understanding of that and um, that that tennis maybe wasn't their biggest priority on that day. And they had other things going on in their life that uh, maybe they they were struggling with and. And I think on the guy's side, sometimes tennis is as a release from stress or, or maybe things that are going on. They can go out and compete and, and, and uh, blow off some steam, whereas for the female college players that I coached, that wasn't always the case. So that was something I had to learn. I, I think I learned that a lot from Claire. Um, mm -hmm. And the other part of it is, is uh, there is a, a, you know, a strength differential, you know, whether – we, we like it or not, there's, there's a, an obvious trend differential and, and even, you know, things that, um, you know, maybe I, I expect my players to be able to do in the weight room or something like that isn't realistic. And then, you know, I see a lot of male coaches trying to coach females the way they coach a male player. And, um, just physically that's, that's not always possible. Sometimes it is, you know, and, and again, that's why you have to understand your, your player. But a lot of times, um, you know, throwing motion on the serve, you know, for boys growing up, but, at, at, you know, whether it's playing baseball or playing some other sport and we're learning that throwing motion and we're getting our left arm up as we throw, uh, little things like that, that, um, a lot of female tennis players didn't do it at a younger age and therefore um, have a much harder time implementing those at a, at a, at a, at a later stage in their career. Um, so these are all things that you have to be aware of and um, just not go in and like, oh, you know, this is how I'm coaching this guy. I'm going to treat everybody the same. And, and that's just, you know, that's, that's uh, a recipe for not disaster, but it's, um, you know, you're going to be kind of beating your head against the wall and not going to make the progress that you'd hope to. And you might spend a lot of time trying to teach some girl how to hit a kick. And yeah, maybe she gets, a, it's kind of just, it's not a full kick and it's just kind of sitting there for their opponent to, to put away shoulder hip, you know, so it's like, oh, I taught her a kick serve. Well, great. Is it is an effective kick serve? Um, so, yeah, little things like that. I think uh, um, there's there's a lot of little subtle differences, but those would be the two main ones. Um, just not making it all about the tennis, and uh, understanding that there are definitely strength and, and physical uh, differentials that you need to account for. Yeah, no, Dave, I really appreciate you highlighting the fact that um, there's no cookie-cutter approach to, to teaching everybody, and you've got to be adaptable and considerate of everybody's uh, 
different uh, circumstances and abilities. Um, I guess I might put you on the spot slightly in the respect that I'd, I want to ask you this question, which is, uh, what is your, or who was your best player um, at, actually, who was your best player in, in your entire career that you've coached and what made that player so great? Yeah, it's, it's funny because, you know, when we talk about best player because there's, there's players that I coached that they, you know, tennis player, how, how do we define that? But, you know, there's, there's tennis players that were really pure, you know, technically very sound, uh, do lots of really great things, but weren't very good competitors. Mm. And then there's other players, players that have coached that technically uh, had a, <laughs> a lot to be uh, desired for, but uh, were incredible competitors. And I always kind of leaned, especially in the college game, um, to those players that made it all about the team and mm-hmm. could care less really about their individual results. The kind of player that, um, you know, when the team lost, you, you'd see the <laughs> kind of air go out of their sails. Mm-hmm. And when it all came down to them, they just embraced that moment and um, thrived in those situations. Um, and then kind of maybe in the in the fall when they're playing for themselves, their results wouldn't be as good at the time. It was kind of frustrating, but at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of all about the dual match season in, in college tennis. So probably the best, um, you know, player, competitor, um, that I coach a girl named Georgia Rose at Northwestern. Uh, um, she's actually been coaching the game at different spots. She just recently had a had her first baby. But um, yeah. uh, what a pleasure to coach! Just an incredible athlete. Um, we kind of grew up all over the world, but was uh, moved to Chicago when she was about fourteen, and uh, wasn't able to play the U.S. kind of national tournament. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were fortunate to get her at Northwestern and, and she was just the ultimate team player. And then at the university of Oklahoma, we had another girl named, uh, Whitney Ritchie, who, uh, was an Oklahoma product. Uh, her dad coached her, uh, played a lot of basketball in, in high school. Um, but just incredible, just a lefty chip charge, you know, remind you of, you know, tennis was played in the in the 70s on the men's side you know just uh but incredible fighter incredible competitor and and those are the type of players i really uh, enjoyed being around because they put the team on their back and and they could carry them and they'd make everybody better around them um and that's really fun as a college coach to to be part of that Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Well, that's awesome, Dave. And so now I want to shift over to talk about your website, which is DaveMullinsTennis.com, where you have a lot of great content and uh, products such as guidebooks, which will you know, help players who 
want to land a spot on a college tennis team and also those who want to thrive in the college tennis environment, uh, you know, that, that's the main focus of your website. So can you uh, tell us, you know, what motivated you to create DaveMullinsTennis.com? Yeah, I was, I just started writing. My, my wife is, is uh, big into running and, and she uh, blogs a lot and, and things like that. And I kind of got interested in it and, I, uh, you know, I just, I'm not very good with social media or anything. That's not really my, my thing. Um, but, uh, just started writing and, uh, enjoyed that process and, and kind of had some things to say, um, not just about tennis, just in, in other areas, just opinions that I felt like, uh, um, I wanted to put down on paper. And so I actually, Wrote a few blogs for uh, um, tennisconsult.com and um, got some really nice feedback and, and questions and um, yeah, just seemed to to uh, grab some people's attention, I guess. So that kind of uh, you know again inspired me to to keep writing and and um, so that kind of what was start started the the idea of the website was going to be that I put up some articles and maybe some videos and things like that. Um, so then when I decided to retire from college coaching, uh, kind of opened up, um, the ability to share information about, uh, the college game. And, you know, I know there's a lot of college services out there that, you know, personally, I believe are overcharging and, and under delivering. And, um, I think, you know, what, what actually inspired my guidebook on how to get a, a college and a scholarship is, when I got married, I didn't have enough money to uh, pay a lawyer to to, to 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 work on my visa, and I actually went online and I found a, a how to get a, a, a visa or a green card after marriage guidebook, and um, it kind of walked me through step by step. And I'm like, geez, I don't need to spend thousands on a lawyer. I can do this myself. And so when I'm kind of looking at, at how much some of these uh, college recruiting services are charging, I'm like, no, that's, that's, you don't need to pay for that. You know, just, just buy a guidebook, go through it step by step. And then if you need more help, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm available for consultations, but I think after reading the guidebook, you're, you're not going to need a whole lot of help. So that kind of, um, inspired me to, to put together that guidebook. And then I wrote another one, how to dominate college tennis, because, I've seen over the last several years just how unprepared players seem to be for the college game uh, right now. And it, it's, it used to be kind of take them a semester to make that transition from, from junior to college or college life. Then it seemed to take them a year. And now I feel like it's taking them two years. And I feel like they're, they're wasting two years of the best years of their life um, just trying to survive. And then they should be thriving during that time. So um, obviously stepping away from college has allowed me to put this information out there. Um, so, you know, I'd like to put some, some more things out there. Um, we're just getting settled back uh, in, in life in Ireland. I get my family settled here and into a new job, but I, I hope to write on a monthly basis and, and tennisrecruiting.net are actually, uh, they're going to publish a blog of mine every month now going forward. And, um, I think I can add a little bit of value to this space, I guess. 
Well, no, congratulations on that uh, connection with uh, tennis. It was tenniscollegeonline.net, you said? Uh, Tennisrecruiting.net. Oh, sorry, yeah, tennisrecruiting.net, right. Yeah, I've seen that site, and uh, I think that's a fantastic uh, relationship that you've uh, forged with them, and we're looking forward to reading those articles, you know, monthly. Um, so, you you know, you put out these great products and that, that are going to help a lot of people and that have been already. And so what is one key concept, you know, that you can give to us, like kind of a sneak peek um, that you think will help tennis players dominate college tennis? Yeah, I kind of just, you know, go through really having them understand what the expectations are going to be. I, I think, you know, you go through the recruiting process and, you know, you're, you're oftentimes lavished with a lot of attention and, you know, you, you can be fooled into thinking that it's all about you. And, um, you know, a, a lot of recruits don't understand that, that it works both ways. You know, you, you've got to impress the coach and the coach got to impress you. Um, but when it comes to being prepared you know, not waiting until, you know, you, you face those first hurdles um, or, or university in college. That's inevitable. That's going to happen. But but how ready are you for that? Like, I think a lot of players come to college thinking it's all going to be perfect and, you know, the, the coach is, is going to be as nice as they were through the recruiting process and, uh, you know, continue to recruit you every day kind of thing. And um, the expectations are really high, and then there's pressure on the coach to win, obviously. And um, you're now being given a scholarship in in many cases, and understand that with that, yeah, the expectations get much higher. That I think a lot of players don't understand when they're working with a junior coach. Well, the junior coach is is being paid by your parents, probably. And they, you know, want to do a job and they want to do best by you, but they probably aren't as willing to have those tough conversations with you and, and be maybe as honest as a college coach might be willing to be. And, and I hear that sometimes through, uh, through, uh, you know, my college years, uh, whether it's about me or another coach, oh, he's just, he's not as positive as, as, as my junior coach. Well, no, I'm not. I'm honest, you know, and, and I'm going to tell you, tell you uh, kind of where you stand at all times. And um, so the guidebook really, you know, in, in all those areas, what it means to be a great teammate. You know, you know, a lot of coaches talk about uh, toughness and then competing, but we don't often define what that looks like or what you need to do to be mentally tough. Um, you know, how to be prepared physically, how to play doubles. Uh, so it kind of, um, you know, touched upon all these different areas, you know, how to set goals even, you know, I'm, I'm still, I felt like in, in my players junior and senior year, I'm, I'm still trying to help them and teach them as to, as to goal setting practices. Like these are things I believe you should have in place, you know, before you get to college so that you can maximize your time there. So it, it, it touches upon all the relevant areas that if if you're willing to do even half of them, well, you're you're ahead of 99% of your competitors already, you know. So, um, yeah, I just didn't think there was any information out there. I think coaches are so busy, you know, working with their uh, current team and recruiting future players that once they've signed a player, it's like, okay, 
it's like a, a sigh of relief. And, you know, just sign them in November. Well, you know, we'll see next August kind of thing. Just make sure you're ready to go. And we don't always give them enough uh, feedback or, or help throughout that time because we're so busy doing other things. I really, you know, when I was looking at the guidebook, which uh, you kindly sent me, uh, I really, I definitely was impressed by the, the goal setting portion because I think, you know, there's players who kind of, you know, they just kind of wander aimlessly and they don't really have set goals and they don't, or they don't have, um, you know, the right, like realistic goals. Uh, you know, there's certain criteria for which you should set, you know, that can get, help you, help guide you set proper goals. So can you talk about um, just the importance of, of setting goals and, and how that translates to success for the players? Yeah, you know, I think there's a, there's lots, you know, look, you can buy books that will tell you, you know, to, to burn your goals and, uh, you know, get the set goals for, for uh, every minute of every day. And, and so I think, again, you know, there's that individual approach. But I think anything that gives you a plan, you know, as to how you're going to utilize your time and, and, you know, by setting a goal, I think that allows you to create a more productive plan, whether that's three months out, six months out, a year out, or whatever it is. But anything that's going to allow you to structure your time on a daily basis and, and give you feedback um, is, 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 is hugely important for all areas of your life, not just for, for tennis. Um, but, uh, yeah, how, you know, as you get older, as I'm sure you're learning as well, it's, mm-hmm. it's our, our most valuable point. And, um, and yeah, how much of it do you want to spend feeling sorry for yourself or, you know, uh, um, complaining about somebody else or blaming somebody else? Um, you know, get, get refocused on your plan, get refocused on your goals. Um, so whatever we want to call them, at the end of the day, you've got to really understand how you want to spend, you know, life's most valuable asset. And, uh, you know, you, amazing what you can accomplish in, in, you know, a day or a week or a month, whatever it is, when you have a plan in place. So, uh, and like you said, there's so many players and, and I, you know, this that's what's inspired me to write this book because at least 95% of the players coming to college, it's like, yeah, they had a goal to get a college scholarship and then they just stop setting goals and they have no idea what's next and they're not really invested in that process. It's like, oh, well, somebody else will care about that thing. And it's like, no, now, now, now goals become important. You know, it's, it's, uh, now you're, you're trying to figure out you know, probably what you're going to do for the rest of your life almost. Um, so, yeah, I, I encourage any young player to uh, start getting, you know, it's, it's, it's like any skill you know, or like any muscle. You've got to train it and you've got, you've got to learn and you've got to practice setting goals and understanding you know, what's too far out of reach and what's maybe, um, you know, setting your expectations too low. But uh, once you start finding that sweet spot and it starts pushing you along, well, you're going to continue to do it as you see the value in it. Right. No, I definitely agree with that statement. Um, and Dave, so you, you also did touch upon a very important part of the college tennis game, which a lot of players, including myself, when we were when I was a junior, uh, didn't really practice enough, and that's doubles. So, I mean, obviously that's a huge part of the game. 
in college. And um, what's maybe one tip that you can give us about um, how to just, you know, in general to become better te- uh, doubles players? Yeah, I think working on, on the women's side, look, I was grown up as uh, and played a lot of doubles and, and was uh, all American in doubles in, in college and, and, uh, right. and played very traditional you know, getting in on behind every serve, getting in behind returns as much as I can, being all over the net. Um, but the game's evolved, and I think working with women's players that maybe weren't as comfortable getting forward, weren't as comfortable with their position at the net, um, you, you start to get a little bit more creative with how you coach them. And I think with time, um, you know, as you were talking earlier about, you know, male versus female and, and coaching them, well, that was one area as well where, you know, I'm taking their players for volley and they're losing every point. And I don't really know that it's adding a whole lot of value to their development, um, you know, <laughs> in all honesty. But I think, you know, again, playing towards your strengths, understanding what you do really well. You know, a lot of players, oh, I don't like doubles. And, and they kind of have it in their mind because, well, they're not that comfortable at net. So any player, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. Um, not to say we shouldn't work on our weaknesses, but if you're going to work on your weaknesses, then you better be really willing to work on your weaknesses. People say that, but then they get into a match and they go back to their old habits or, you know, they're not really putting the hours of weaknesses. Um, but understand what your strengths are and maybe, maybe you're a really good return to serve. Um, you know, maybe you've got a great law. Maybe you are really good at net, you know, uh, maybe you've got a very consistent first serve and then set up your, your partner. But I'd, I'd look for players, uh, you know, the players that were on our team. Okay. Here's, here's our team. Here's what we have to work with. And then start trying to figure out partnerships that would, uh, complement each other and, and strengths that would complement each other. But don't, don't get bogged down. I guess that's my advice. Don't bogged down thinking that you have to play a traditional double getting into the net all the time. Um, if you need two players on the baseline, then put two players on the baseline. You know, whatever that is, whatever your strength is, play towards it and, and try and put yourself in that position for success. And yeah, people might make fun of you. Oh, they're, you know, they're sitting on the baseline and they're just, you know, lobbing the ball up or whatever it is. Well, if, if that's what's giving you success, well, well, we'll go for it, you know. And again, that depends on where you're at in your game, what you're looking to improve upon. But uh, when it comes down to a college match and, you know, uh, well, every point is crucial. So, um, yeah, I think that can translate to, to a lot of um, just kind of club players and things like that. Just uh, understand your strengths and weaknesses and then try and put yourself in position to play towards your strengths as often as possible. I definitely uh, like hearing that, Dave, because there I've definitely heard from a lot of coaches that, hey, you know, it's serve and volley. That's what you've got to do. You know, there's no no excuses for not serving and volleying. But um, you know, especially in in certain cases, like players, if that's not their strength, then you can you know find other ways to win. And if it's staying at the baseline, then you know so be it. So that's uh, great that you mentioned that. Um, and so you know, as you mentioned, you. You wrote a college tennis scholarship guide, which is, I mean, having a guy like that can, you know, it's a great investment because it translates to potentially a lot of money. Um, but 
I was curious, you know, in regards to communicating with college coaches, um, in your opinion, what's kind of the best uh, mode of communication, uh, you know, to to contact and, and talk with uh, college coaches? Absolutely. I think it's it's email, you know. I mean, we can say email, dad, or whatever, and Twitter and all the rest of it, but coaches, you know, they are busy. And a big mistake I saw a lot of uh, junior players make is that they send to, you know, kind of their, their cover letter and resume and, and write about all their, you know, community service and things like that. And, and that, that's wonderful. And that's great. And they should be, um, you know, uh, promoting themselves in that, in, in that way, but not in their initial email to a coach. The first thing a coach, you understand that a lot of coaches are getting anywhere from, you know, five to 20 emails a day often. And they're looking to see, firstly, does this player have the level of play or the results? to help the team immediately. So, you know, I, I recommend that you write something in the in the subject header, um, such as, you know, ranking whatever it is, you know, or recently beat player X six three seven six, you know, a player that you know the coach is gonna know. Maybe it's a college player or maybe it's somebody that's going to college or something like that. Like something that's gonna grab the coach's attention straight away. And then, and then I go through this in the guidebook, how to write the perfect kind of letter. And it's, it's just one page and it's very to the point. It gives some, some recent results relevant. Uh, maybe it's against somebody with, with a high ranking or somebody that's played a lot of tournaments and it, and, and, and it doesn't always have to be wins. You know, players are interested or coaches are interested to see, you know, if, if they know a player well and, and, this this player that's emailing them lost, you know, seven, six, six, four. It's like, okay, that gives them a sense of what level they're playing at, and that can be helpful information. So my advice is to email the coach, make the email as to the point, as relevant as possible, with sufficient results. Um, you know, obviously rankings aren't, you know, they're important, but you know, if, if you've got a good ranking and you think it's, it's something that'll help you, we'll, we'll put that down. That's fine. But but coaches are really they're most interested in results. And then maybe you can just put down you know your coach's name, uh, a number, uh, and uh, you know what your next four to five tournaments are going to be or something like that. It doesn't need to be done. You know, save the other stuff because the coach is going to look like that. Look at that. They're going to decide, okay, they're going to make a snap, uh, sec- second decision. Uh, am I interested in this player or not? And, and if they are interested well, then they're, they're going to email the player back or call them back, depending on, you know, the NCA rules surrounding all those things at that time. And then from there, then, yes, the coach wants to hear about their community service and, and uh, you know, everything else that, you know, their passion for the game and, and how they started and all those things. Uh, but but don't waste your time uh, putting all those things in the initial email. The coach probably won't read it, to be honest. So you touched upon you know some mistakes that players are making, um, but I, I still want to ask you this question, which is, you know, in, in your opinion, what is the biggest uh, again mistake that uh, potential college tennis players are making that really uh, you know destroys their chances of getting a scholarship? 
Yeah, there's, I, I think it's a lot to do with expectations. I think um, a lot of players' expectations are, are often unrealistic. And, and look, everybody needs to dream and, and uh, you know, uh, and I think set big goals. Uh, but they also need to, to be realistic of where they are at that point. And um, I think a lot of players waste a lot of time um, sending, you know, emails or phone calls or whatever it is to, you know, the top two, you know, few choices and I haven't really thought about, well, am I going to play in the lineup? You know, what type of scholarship am I really going to get at this place? Is, is it something that I want or is it something that, you know, society is telling me I should be striving for or, or my mom or dad or my coach or something like that? Um, and, and not really understanding what it is they want to get out of this experience. And, and look, they're, they're young. Um, they're, they're, you know, hopefully growing in, in some level of self-awareness and, and starting to, to do more things for themselves and think for themselves. But, um, you know, I encourage in my guidebook, I think I give about a list of 20 to 25 questions, you know, to really ask yourself before you start this process and define what it is you're looking for and what you're hoping to get out of this experience. If it's just, you know, oh, I want to win a, an NCAA title. Well, well, do you really? You know, is that really the most important thing to you? You know, um, because I don't think it should be because I think on the women's side, something like six teams have ever won an NCAA title. So, you know, if you're, you're not good enough to get a scholarship to one of those six places, well then, okay, what's your, your number two goal? So I think, yeah, get, getting your expectations in line, um, being very realistic about, um, you know, you know, where you're going to fit in and, and where you're going to have the experience that, that matters to you, not, not matters to somebody else. So, um, yeah, I think the clearer you can get on that earlier, um, then you're not going to be spinning your wheels, um, you know, hoping that, you know, Stanford or whoever it is is going to call you back when, you know, you're number 179 on, on their list. Um, you know, so, yeah, uh, you, you research is, is vitally important, um, you know, trying to take unofficial visits. You know, if you're going to play a tournament somewhere, I recommend, you know, are there a, a, a couple of universities within an hour drive of this place? And uh, can I go look at it? Maybe not because I'm that interested in it, but it gives me a, a point of reference at least. And, and I can have a better understanding of what it is, uh, those things. Is it, is it a big college? You know, if you go to, uh, I think like an Arizona state and there's 60,000 students, is, is that what I want? Or do I want to be at a, at a small private school with 3000 students? Well, if you step on both of those campuses, they're two very different experiences and, um, you'll know, you know, you'll know like, okay, yeah, this, this, this college is too small. I need something a little bit bigger. That that's narrowed your search yet again. So, um, yeah, I hope, I hope some of those things are helpful. No, I think that's really helpful, Dave. Um, and, uh, that, that kind of shows why my demands to play number one for Stanford caused me to never, <laughs> to lose communication with that coach. But, um, no, Dave, I mean, just, you know, amazing, uh, value, you know, that you, you brought to the podcast. I, I'm sure that all college players would really appreciate, uh, what you're, what you've told us today. I do have, uh, just a couple other questions if you have, uh, time. Um, I'm curious to, uh, sure. as, uh appreciate it as far as what, what are three books that you'd recommend, uh, 
actually college tennis players to read, if any? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a huge reader myself and, and wish my, my players would, would read more. Um, early in my career, I used to give out books and, and make sure my players read them. And then I kind of got to the point like, I'm, I'm not going to force you guys to read these things. Um, and, and I kind of give them some cliff notes of, uh, you know, I pull things out that I think were, were relevant to to things maybe we had been discussing or, or things you want to be better at or issues you've been dealing with. And, uh, and then I tell them, look, if, if you, if you are interested in, in reading the entire book, um, you know, I'll buy it for you. And, and some players would be interested in, in some books and, and some players wouldn't, and, and that's fine. Um, but probably top of my list is The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And um, have you ever heard of this book? I have not, but I'll include it in the show notes uh, for everyone. Yeah, it really just talks about how every decision we're making is either making us better or making us worse, basically, and, and we're often not not completely aware of, of how the little tiny decisions we make um, are, are, are impacting us either negatively or, or positively. And um, it, it's a really... I, I wish every uh, I wish every human being could read it, but definitely every college uh, player uh, would benefit a great deal because uh, there's there's a lot of bad decision making that I see. Nothing nothing uh, uh, you know life threatening or anything close to it, um, but there's little decisions that, that college players are making that. Um, could really change their experience uh, and, and change their level of success if uh, they just became more aware about uh, how those decisions are impacting uh, themselves off the court and on the court. So that would definitely be one. Um, another book is Toughness by Jay Billis. Uh, Jay Billis is a former um, um, basketball player and uh, played, you know, a really high level at, at Duke and. Uh, played in Europe and, and um, is he's on ESPN now. He's a, he's a mm-hmm. sportscaster and he's and um, but coaches talk a lot about toughness and and uh, you got to be tough, you know. And but they, again, they don't really define what that looks like. And and Jay Billis goes chapter to chapter and gives stories of his college career and playing at Duke and um, teammates and, and, uh, other people that he's, he's experienced in life and, and really defines what toughness is. And, um, God, if, if you, if you read that before you, you went to college, uh, you'd have such an appreciation, I, I think, for the college experience and, and, and what it's really going to be like. And so I'd, I'd recommend that to anybody, uh, about to go to college or, or is currently in college, uh, they'll benefit greatly from it. Um, so those are definitely two books. Um, I mean, a book that I just finished uh, is Grit by Angela Duckworth. Um, so her studies have, have interested me a great deal through the years, and I've given my players the, the grit test. Um, and uh, I don't know how honest they are always with their answers, but uh, it's 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 an interesting book and an insight into. Uh, what it takes to achieve at a high level. And, um, it, you know, if I was still college coaching, there's definitely uh, excerpts I'd be taking out to, to share with my players in that book. Fantastic. Now, those are great uh, recommendations, and I'm going to include all of them at 
tennisfiles.com uh, slash 29 so you guys can check those books out. Um, so Dave, uh, what is one tip that you could uh, give to our audience that you think would help them really improve their tennis games? Yeah, I think it's, it's um, getting realistic with your expectations. You know, even at the lowest levels, um, you know, beginner players and, and kind of how hard they are on themselves and, and what their expectations are. And, you know, tennis is such a difficult sport and it's, uh, there's so many aspects to learn and to, to, I guess, try and master and, uh, understand that you don't have to master all of them to, to be a really good player. I think, uh, you know, we come back to that strengths and weaknesses, um, you know, and that's an argument and that's something I always struggled with as, as a college coach, like how much time do I want to spend on, on this weakness? And I think I found over time, well, I might want to spend all this time on, on somebody's weakness, but if they don't want to do it and if they don't want to put in the work or they're only putting the work when I'm around, then it doesn't really matter. Like you've really got to want to weaknesses um so i think if if you're not really open to change if you're not really willing to kind of suffer some pain uh, i mean that in the, in the in the lightest term but just um you know if you're working with a coach and they're they're telling you to change something um if you're not really willing to go through the pain and, and lose tennis matches and, and kind of take you know, uh, two steps back to, to hopefully take three steps forward, um, then, then focus on, on your strengths and, and, and focus on, on trying to make those things better and understand that you can still be a very good tennis player. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think just being, being real with yourself and that can be, that can be on the physical side too. That could be on nutrition. Um, that could be on the mental side of the game. I think that's another, thing we didn't really talk about, but, um, you know, I, I, I wrote a blog recently about um, the mental game and, and, again, how coaches, we want our players to be mentally tougher and we talk about, oh, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to do this better on these points and, and we've got to find ways to, to make you mentally tougher, but then we spend about 1% of our time actually working on it. And uh, it's just something that coaches talk about, but we never really, we just right away, we go back to working on, you know, the technique on their serve or their footwork on their forehand or areas that we're more comfortable and familiar with. But uh, we know that a lot of times it comes down to the mental game, yet we just keep ignoring it. So, um, so yeah, again, maybe the mental side is something that is, 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 is really a strength of yours. And uh, understanding that and, and trying to find ways to implement that into your uh, competitive matches. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned, you just highlighted how how important the mental game truly is to your success in tennis. I mean, even when you, know, when you talk about uh, setting goals, I mean, it's all coming from the mind and um, being able to, you know, get your mind uh, to the point where you can perform optimally in high pressure situations is uh, extremely difficult. Um, but uh, Dave, you know, I, I normally end shows on that uh, question, but I, you know, since you, you were a college coach and did, you know, did such great things uh, in the college tennis world. Um, I just want to ask you about, uh, 
you know, the fact that a lot of uh, college tennis teams, you know, have been eliminated, including mine, actually, this past year, they just decided to cut the, uh, my uh, team at UMBC. And I'm just curious on your take on really, you know, the elimination of college tennis teams and kind of what you think uh, could be done to prevent it. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I didn't, I didn't know that. Uh, it's, but it's, uh, I guess it's no big, big surprise um, these days. It, the college landscape, it's, it's, it's an interesting time, and um, uh, for all college sports, not just for tennis. And uh, I've seen, you know, a shift at, at the BCS level, which I was at coaching. That, you know, there's, there's so many resources now at some of these. Uh, places and, and I don't think that's always necessarily a, a good thing. And uh, we kind of reached a tipping point where the student athletes are maybe given a little bit too much at times, and then that's uh, we could say it's taking away their hunger or or uh, making them softer or whatever it is. But um, uh, you know, so you've got this kind of uh, war waging between the haves and the have-nots. And my concern is that 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 gap's going to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger in the years ahead. And if the BTS, uh, you know, splits off and, and does its own thing, which is a real possibility. Um, but even at the rate that some of these BCS schools are going, I don't believe it's sustainable. I do believe it's 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 kind of a, a bubble. And that's going to burst at some point, and and uh, um, at some point where everybody's going to have to reevaluate where uh, they want to put their resources. But I think a lot of the time it comes, you know, there's just certain things that are completely out of control, and tennis is, is uh, an easier sport to cut because you are um, upsetting the least amount of people because there's you know generally whatever six to ten people on a, on a tennis team. Uh, and so if you look at a soccer team that has 25, well, yeah, you've got the 25 that are currently on the team, uh, plus their parents, plus all the alumni and all the rest of it. So you're, when you cut a tennis team or a golf team or something like that, um, you're maybe not saving as much money, but you're upsetting the least amount of people. So my advice to, you know, young college coaches is to, you know, try and get as many people as possible to care about your program because the more people that care about your program, well, then if it's cut, um, the administration is, is pissing off a great number of people that yeah, hopefully have, um, you know, maybe have significant roles within the community or, or um, you know, uh, hopefully have some some pull within the administration or whatever it is. So it's making the tennis programs as relevant as possible. I, I, I served on the uh, ITA operating committee for the last several years and, and uh, played a part in, in trying to change the scoring system. And I know it was quite controversial, but really we were falling behind. Um, all the other sports were, you know, understanding that they, you know, people just don't have the attention spans that they once did. And, you know, sitting around for a four and a half, five hour uh, college tennis match, it's just not realistic. And so we have to shorten our format. I do believe it's more exciting. Um, I do believe more people are staying longer for matches. But there, there is, 
you know, there uh, there's a lot of challenges, and it, it's not as it's not as simple. There's not one easy solution. But uh, my advice is to, like I said, get as many people caring about your program as possible, and um, you know, understanding that yeah, winning's part of that for sure. But it's also finding ways to um, get involved within the community, not just within the tennis community, but the community at large, and uh, finding ways to get those people to uh, really invest in your program, not just with with money by any means, but time uh, attending matches and uh, and finding ways to support your programs in other ways. So it's it's definitely a challenging time. Um, there's uh, maybe uh, there's definitely more cuts to come. Uh, I know a bit of good news is that Arizona State men are reintroducing their tennis program, mm-hmm. but I think that's that's only going to happen at the BCS level. And there's hundreds of programs out there that are you know going year to year and uh, have incredible coaches, unbelievable levels of, of dedication that are are pouring their heart and soul uh, into these programs. Um, and, and doing everything they can to make them survive. And uh, yeah, I'm, even though I'm not a college coach anymore, I, I, I love college tennis. I love what it's the life that it's given me, and and, uh, and uh, I'm going to be cheering for its sustainability uh, over here in Ireland. Well, I appreciate that really expert insight into you know what we can. P- do to potentially try and save our programs. And I really like how you highlighted that we have to really be proactive and do everything we can instead of just, you know, sit there and, and say, hey, it's inevitable. I mean, if we can forge a strong sense of community and uh, support for our teams, then I think that, as you mentioned, we have a much higher likelihood of uh, getting it, uh, of, of saving these programs. So hopefully, um, you know, teams and people who hear this will take action and support their programs. Um, Dave, where can we find you online? Um, yeah, really just at my website, uh, com is, is the best place to find me. Like I said, I'll, I'll be writing some blogs for tennisrecruiting.net and for uh, tennisconsult.com. Um you know, I'm I, I'm on Facebook at, at David Mullins, but uh, really, <laughs> I'm not particularly active. But uh, um, no, tennis.com is, is the best place to find me. I have a few blogs up there, and uh, hope to start really adding more in in the months to come. And uh, um, yeah, doing a better job of of uh, getting some of of my material out there, and and uh, yeah, hoping that it, it can help some younger players. Um, yeah, become more self-aware and and, uh, and revisit uh, some of their ideas as to why they got into tennis and, and what they want to get out of it. And uh, yeah, hopefully uh, put some information out there about uh, really the college process because, like I said, I, I love college tennis and, and I'd encourage every player to, to go down that path and, and uh, explore it and, and see if it's for them. And, um, and, it's, and it's a huge decision. And uh, uh, the more information you can get out there about making the best decision possible, uh, the more people will enjoy their experience. And then again, the more support we'll have for, for, for college tennis. So, um, yeah, thank you for having me on. This has is, been great. I've loved uh, chatting with you. And if you're ever uh, in uh, Dublin, Ireland, um, let's get a Guinness. 
Oh, I love that, Dave. Um, as I've, uh, you know, as, when we spoke, I mentioned that my uh, girlfriend is uh, half Irish, so uh, she'd love to visit Ireland, and I'll come along, and you know, we'll have a Guinness or two. Um, and you know, Dave, I just uh, want to thank you so much for being a guest on the Tennis Laws Podcast. You've brought an amazing insight and value to our listeners, and uh, you know, we just really appreciate everything you've done. That uh, you know, all the positive impact you've had on just countless numbers of of students and players and helping them play better tennis and uh, uh, achieve better quality uh, in their lives. And I uh, wish you all the best with uh, DaveMullinsTennis.com. Uh, and uh, I think everybody should obviously check out uh, Dave's site. Uh, he has a lot of great material on there. And, you know, also uh, consider uh, getting his guidebooks as well. Uh, he has a lot of expertise in this area and has been very successful. So, uh, Dave, thanks again, and uh, definitely, you know, we'll keep in touch and uh, wish you all the best, and hopefully I'll see you in Ireland or here someday. Yeah, great. Thank you. No, this is, this is brilliant, and, and uh, keep up the great work. Keep up that uh, wonderful content, and, and uh, you're helping a lot of people, so uh, I love it. Um, so, yeah, let's see what we can uh, do together in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dave Mullins from DaveMullinsTennis.com. Uh, he definitely gave us a lot of uh, value in all the advice that he gave us about the college tennis game and tennis in general. And uh, Again, Dave, thanks for a lot for coming on the show. Um, you can get all the links and everything mentioned during the interview at TennisFiles.com slash 29. And... Yeah, I also would definitely really appreciate it if you guys who are listening would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast if you haven't already. And uh, last but not least, I just want to leave you guys with a quote as I like to do. And this quote is by Winston Churchill. And he said, Success is walking from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. So, you know, failures are just a way to Learn from your mistakes and keep on trucking and uh, keep crushing it. You know, keep keep going for your goals no matter what. Thanks, guys. And uh, also one last blurb is that if you guys want to improve your tennis game, I highly, highly encourage you to check out uh, my ebook at tennisfiles.com slash ebook. And I really appreciate you guys for listening. So until the next episode, guys, take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.